This morning, I'd like to share with you some thoughts concerning your soul and what God intended for your soul and the life hereafter. Many people struggle in their life with having peace with their past. All the things that I've done, things I should not have done. A lot of people struggle with the present. Things that I'm doing things that I know I shouldn't do. Sometimes people struggle with their future. There's a professor at Fried Hardman University who, when he begins the semester there with those young minds, he will have them to answer a question. And I would like to ask you that same question this morning. In this very moment of time, right now, March the 13th, 2022, probably 1022, Are you going to heaven? It's a yes or no question. That's the question. Right now, at this very moment, are you going to heaven? Most of those responses that that professor would receive from those young minds would be yes, a few no's. He'd done that same question to older people as they got older in their 30s and 40s, late 20s, 30s and 40s. Same number of souls. And the question, the answer to that question became more answers like this. I don't know. People who were in their 40s and 50s answered the question, well, I, I hope so. I hope that I go to heaven. This morning, if you're in this audience and you are not a Christian, I'm not talking about the Christian way the world teaches it. I'm talking about the way the Bible teaches it. The world will tell you to simply call upon the name of the Lord and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and say this prayer 
and you will be saved. That is as far away from the truth. There was a belief that has to happen, but that's not what the Bible teaches. This morning, and it's more merely than just getting wet. It is a commitment to God and to Jesus. This morning, if you're interested in going to heaven, you need to listen very closely because if you have not had the blood of Christ applied through baptism for the forgiveness of sins and made that commitment... You can't go to heaven. It's that simple. I want you just for a moment, before we get into it, either on a piece of paper or on the board of your mind, I want you, we're going to have a spelling test here, okay? I want you to spell the word forgiveness. Got it? Write it in your mind. Write it on a piece of paper, whatever you got to do. Then I want you, some of you struggling with it, right? F-O-R-G-I-V-E-N-E-S-S. All right, y'all got that, right? Forgiveness. All right. Now, I want you to take and mark out the first three letters. Mark it out in your mind. Once you go to the end and mark out the, la the last three letters of that word. Now what just slapped you in the face? The word given. The greatest gift that God has given to mankind is forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the greatest gift. This morning, you can have all of those sins those things that you said and done, the, the curse words, the dirty jokes, the, the whatever, the, the drug addict, the, the sexually and more, sex before marriage and fornication and, and, and adultery and all those things can be erased. The Bible was given so we could know forgiveness. In Psalms 32 and verse 1, before we get to our text, <coughs> Psalms 32 and verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is for me. 
given whose sin is covered. I owe a debt that I could not pay. The song says, but Jesus paid it. It's like this morning that that we have a rock. Used to in Bible times, they would have a piece of sculpture or a rock. And if a man or whoever owed a debt, they would chisel into that stone that debt. And it stayed on that piece of sculpture or rock until that debt was paid in full. And once the debt was paid in full, they would take and melt wax and cover over that debt on that stone to insinuate that the debt was paid. We owe that debt. Someone covered that debt of sin and his name was Jesus. Jesus doesn't use wax. He uses his blood. And we're justified just if I'd never sinned. Justified. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 1, in verse 18, notice what the passage says about our sin. Isaiah chapter 1, in verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You see, that word scarlet, I hope you turned there in your Bibles. You just need to make these notes. That word scarlet means double dipped. It's kind of like when you go to Dairy Queen and they put that ice cream on that cone and they go to that chocolate little container and they dip it down in there. They bring it up. Mm, I can just taste one right now. But then they say, oh, that, that, we're going to dip it again. Scarlet. Double dipped, as the Greek would describe it. And he says there that, that uh, he, let us reason together that your sins be as scarlet, but shall they be white as snow, though they be red like crimson. That red meaning blood red.
And that crimson, if you can imagine, when you translate that out and go and search the word, what it means, it's crushed up insects. And it's like that you, you have been dipped. My soul has been dipped in, into that mess, is what this verse is saying. It's been dipped into that red, double dipped into that mess of crushed insects, but it can become white as snow. You see, when God forgives you, and you're baptized for the remission of your sins, he remembers them no more. The man got home late one night, and his wife, he was telling some men that he worked with, and he, he said, I got home late last night from where I was supposed to be, and my wife went historical. Puzzled, they looked at him, and they said, don't you mean hysterical? He says, no. He said, she brought up everything that I'd ever said or done to her. You see, God's not like that. When God forgives you and when you're baptized for the remission of your sins, those sins are gone. It's like that rock that has chiseled that dead of sin in, that's covered in wax, that he takes and he scrapes the slate clean and your soul becomes white as snow. Isaiah 38 and verse 17 says that he throws my sins behind his back. You know, we come into this world or we're in this world and as time goes on, we sin and we make mistakes as we get older. We're damaged goods, if you will. Sin brings about a lot of guilt. As you think about your past and mind, do you have things that, that you're guilty of that, that you really wish you hadn't done? <laughs> I do. I've got a lot. I knew better. I was brought up better. My moral law and things that I said and done were wrong just, just by morality. Not counting the things that God, that I'd said in Bible class and, at a young age and been taught not to do, but I chose to do them anyway. See, until we see ourselves through God's eyes, we'll deal with those things in our lives. That you can be forgiven. Those things can be scraped away. There's a man, as you can see by the PowerPoint behind me, by the name of Nicodemus. He traveled the dark streets of Jerusalem one night in the night to talk to Jesus. He may have not been fully convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, but he knew that Jesus was a man of God 
who could perform miracles. John 3, 1 and 2. In verse 2, this man says, he came to him by night. You've come from God as a teacher, a master teacher, he recognizes Jesus. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. This morning I'm asking you to recognize Jesus as the master teacher, the master forgiver through his blood. Nicodemus was a Pharisee which when you study that word, it means separately. They wanted to be separate. And those who belong to the Jewish sect believed that inventing their own religious rules and traditions would lead a person closer to God. Jesus constantly condemned their thinking, Matthew 15 and 1 through 9. Jesus knew that Nicodemus came to discuss more than his miracles. John chapter 2 and 23 through 25 says he knew all men. He knows, he knew the heart of all men. He knew what men was thinking. This morning, he knows. This morning, Jesus and God knows. Each individual. He knows each one of you. He knows where you come from. He knows where where you've been. He knows the things that you've said, the things that you've done. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows whether you're a Christian. He knows whether you're one of his children or not. He knows the answer to that question that I asked you at the very beginning. At this very moment of time, are you going to heaven? He knows the answer to that. Just like you know. But Jesus knows. He knew Nicodemus came to talk more about the miracles and things. He knew that Nicodemus probably wanted to learn more about the teachings that he was uh, giving and the kingdom of God. Of course, this would explain their discussion about the new birth. As the scripture read was read just a moment ago, except a man be born again, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot go to heaven. Except he be born of the water and of the spirit. You see, a lot of people in the world today, they want to say, as a born again Christian, that's insinuating that you're saved before you're baptized. And that is totally contrary to the word of God. We've studied English. We may not have liked it in school, but we learned that A-N-D, the word and, connects two things together, don't we? When you go to Mark 16 and 16, what does it say? He that believeth and is baptized. Believeth is a part of it. Being baptized is the rest of it. 
can't have one and be saved without the other. So he knew all men. You see, this morning, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, you must do the same thing this man did that we're talking about this morning. You must come to Jesus. The new birth is critical. In John chapter 3 and verse 3 there, one must experience the new birth. As we just said, it is critical. Nicodemus's nationality could not help him anymore. In verse 3, he answered him. When, when he said to him in verse 2 there, in verse 3 he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again or anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, Verily, verily, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be, what? Born again. Baptized for the remission of your sins. This new birth is critical. Notice in verse 4. Notice in verse 4 the response. Notice the response that Nicodemus gives him. In verse 4. Now, when you study this, you think that Nicodemus, he probably, he knew that a man couldn't go into the womb a second time and be born again. But what he was really saying to Jesus was, I want to know more. How can I go to heaven? Because Nicodemus says, how can a man, when he's, when he's born, when he's old, how can he enter the second time into the mother's womb and be born? We say somehow he was confused. He, he, he's thinking about a physical birth versus a spiritual birth. But one must experience the new birth to enter the kingdom of God. Again, his physical nationality no longer was good enough. If he wanted to be the part of the kingdom of, of the Messiah, he needed to be born again spiritually. And again, that language of, that Jesus, uh, of Jesus teaches here, that born, that born again Christian we hear today, it's redundant. There are no Christians who have not been born again, but being born again is not something a person does to take their Christianity to another level. Often you hear that in our denominational brethren, or denominational friends, rather. Our denominational friends will, will say that it's, they're taking their Christianity to another level because being baptized. No. Instead, it's something that a person must do to become a Christian. That born-again Christian terminology is really ridiculous because, again, it implies you're already saved before baptism. 
is something you do to become a Christian. One who follows God. One who has had the blood applied. The birth is critical. That birth that we're talking about this morning is a birth that involves water and spirit. Brother Marshall Keeble would always say there's water in the plant. Every time God's people have been saved from Noah's time, there was water in the plant. Every conversion that you read about in Acts chapter 8 in an Ethiopian eunuch, where he says, he says, here's water, what hindereth me from being baptized? And he says, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes, he does with all his heart. He says, they both what? Went down into the water. And it wasn't some sprinkling. Because when it was done, they came up out of the water. There was much water where John was preaching, if you remember. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 on the day of Pentecost. They asked Peter, what shall we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. You see, Jesus is having this conversation with this ruler. Nicodemus wanted to know more about the new birth, John 3 and verse 4. But how exactly is a person born again? Born again the Lord's way. You see, that's the question you have to ask yourself today. Have you become a Christian? If some people claim Christianity, today in our world, if you own a Bible and you believe in God, you're a Christian. That's not what the Bible teaches. Through his son, that one must be followed to be the one to meet the qualifications to become a Christian. The new birth involves water and the spirit. The water refers to water baptism for remission of sins, Acts 2 and verse 38, Acts 8. In the Ethiopian eunuch. 1 Peter 3 and 21. The Spirit is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Only when a person is converted by the revealed teachings of the Spirit, the Word of God, what we read in the Bible comes from the Holy Spirit, penned by men, guided by the Holy Spirit, from, the, from our God. We call it the Word of God. And when and only when is a person that has been baptized the way the Lord's way, what the Bible says, then and only then are they saved. You see, it's that simple. Only a person, when a person is converted by the revealed teachings of that Spirit, the Word of God, can he learn the truth about God. His sins and how to receive God's forgiveness. John 16 and 12 through 15 speaks of that. And let me tell you, you're to be saved. You're not going to pass out. You're not going to jump over the pews. You're not going to run around the pews. You're not going to see a vision. 
You're not going to have some feeling come over you and says, oh, that's God speaking to me. I had a lady the other day says, God told me to call you. I said, well, what's his number? Could I not call him? How did God tell you to call me? Had a situation not too long ago. Somebody wanted me to come pray with them, and they wanted, they wanted an ordained preacher. I said, I'm not ordained. I'm a Christian, just like a Christian is in the Bible, but I stand up and preach the gospel. You see, we get into this ordained stuff, and that's, that's not, even, not even where we need to go. They said, we, we don't have the power you have. I ain't got no more power than you got. But this ruler, this new birth he's wanting to know about. When one is converted by the teaching of the Holy Spirit, when you are converted and when you have been taught lessons like we're learning today and other lessons as well, you will want to be converted. You will want to be born again. And you'll want to be born of the spirit and of the water. You see, everything we have in the Bible concerning salvation, church, heaven, hell, marriages, when one hears these messages concerning salvation, they should want to be become a Christian, become a new creature, and put away those old things. The new birth is evident. It's evident. People of the world should easily recognize a person who has been born again. Not a born-again Christian, but simply born again. There should be something unique and different. When one becomes a Christian, it's merely, it's more than just merely getting wet. It is a commitment that you make to Christ and to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That means you're a new person all the way around. That means you're going to quit going to some of those places you've been going. And you're going to, and on those days that we assemble and worship, you're going to be here when the doors are open. That means you're going to change the way you talk, the way you act, the way you dress, the people you hang around with. Because when you become a Christian, you are a new person and that old man is gone away. You are crucified when you are let down into that water, just as Jesus was. You are dead just as he died. But just as he arose on that third day, new type of person. 
Not that he has sinned. We become a new person. It's critical. It's evident. The new birth should be evident. Romans 6 and verse 4 speaks of the newness of life. These folks who, who, who set up times to come and be baptized and, 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 and stuff, and, and they jump in there and we baptize them and they never show back up. They weren't fully converted. Sometimes I think we get in too big of a hurry to start trying to baptize folks. I think there needs to be some studying going on. Oh, they want to be baptized. We don't want to be held accountable if we were, we're ready. Well, it's evident if we've, if we've been in the church long enough, we know what questions to ask to know. I can't tell you at the year, and I've made that same mistake. I can't tell you through the years how many has been baptized right here who no longer, who never came back after they was baptized. And you know, that bothers me as a minister because there's something that I missed. Yes, they have a personal responsibility. I understand that. But that bothers me as a minister. You need to be committed to God. Yes, they will answer for it. But it should be evident. They should put off the old self. The person who cussed, who had sex out of marriage, who's lied, can have that renewed spirit that Ephesians 4 and 22 speaks about. When he puts on that new self in Ephesians 4, 23 and 24, that refers a life that is truly converted, a life that is made up of new habits, new attitudes, new priorities, and new thinking. In Romans chapter 8, Talk about the Spirit we're baptized. And the Holy Spirit is mentioned in Romans 8 21 times. It's an important part of the process. Now, a lot of times, our millennial generations and our younger generations today do not like to exclude people. Our younger people, and especially the millennials that we call, don't want to be judgmental. There's a goodness in that, in one sense. But they don't want to exclude anyone. Our younger generations are accepting more and more and more that everybody gets to go to heaven. And that's just not the case. The Bible, our Lord excludes them. Not, any, not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But those who do the will of my Father which is in heaven. No one comes to the Father but by me, John A. You see, there is a seclusion. 
There's going to be a great separation one day. When the Lord comes back, we stand before God. Sinners will depart into the fires of hell. Those who have been faithful will depart into the joys of heaven. So therefore, it tells me we have to have a separation down here. So again, I told you that we were damaged goods. If I told you this morning, uh, you're talking about Romans 8, if I ask you what the love chapter of the Bible was, what would you say? 1 Corinthians 13, right? If I ask you what the resurrection chapter was in the Bible, what would you say? 1 Corinthians 15. If I ask you what the faith chapter was, Hebrews chapter 11. The resurrection chapter, the love and the faith and the Holy Spirit all tied together. Romans 8, the Holy Spirit. Little boy in first grade, and if we call him Little Johnny, if he was, I was like Little Johnny. Kindergarten, first grade, they gave you these big, huge pencils that were like logs. Y'all remember them. And they didn't give you an eraser when I was younger. They didn't give you an eraser. I had an eraser on. And I was like little Johnny. I made a lot of mistakes, believe me, in writing and growing up. I didn't like school. I hated school. I told you all about my kindergarten experience. Hadn't been for the straw and those cheese, those cheese snacks, I wouldn't have went. Because my straw was my gun. I could hunt and we could kill Indians. But you know, little Johnny made a lot of mistakes and he asked his teacher, he says, Miss Sarah, and two, you ever made, you ever erased so much on the paper that you tore a hole in it? I did when I was growing up. Uh, my special ed children do that a lot. But he asked his teacher, Miss Sarah, where do our mistakes go? Think about that. Where do our mistakes go? As I told you in the very beginning, when God and the blood of Christ washes those sins away, they're gone. God throws them behind his back in the deepest part of the sea to remember them no more. This morning, to become a Christian today. And I'm going to tell you, if you're waiting on to know everything about the Bible, you've got to know a scripture and a chapter and a verse, and you've got to know everything about everything in the Bible, you'll never become a Christian. Because you'll never know everything about the Bible. I'm years old. Some of these people are in their 70s and 80s, they still don't know everything about the Bible. If you're waiting to get your life right and say, oh, i got to clean up some things, i got to figure out some things first, and i, I got to get further along and, and, and get things going and, and, and understand some things better and, 
Most certainly, you've got to straighten up some things. I agree. But if you ever wait till your life is perfect, you'll never become a Christian. Because at 53 years old, my life is still not perfect. And I sin every day. We go back to that question this morning. We're going to stand and we're going to sing just in a moment. At this very moment of time, are you going to heaven by the plan that we talked about this morning? Is sin in your life? Now, those of us who have been baptized, who are Christian, we fail, we make mistakes, God has provided a way. Prayer, repentance, confession, let us pray for you, with you. God removes those things. But if you're not baptized into the Lord and Lord's church and had forgiveness of your sins through baptism, and yes, there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. If you haven't had that applied, you're lost. I can answer that question for you. you you're not going to have Are you going? One of the saddest things to me is that if I miss, if I down here don't, and I am not the father and the daddy that I need to be to those children, and they don't make it to heaven, I can't stand the thought of standing before God and Him saying, Why were you not a better example to them? Why were you not a better example to your wife, to your girlfriend, to your boyfriend? I can't imagine knowing that it all hinges on me doing what I'm supposed to do down here and missing heaven. Maybe this morning you need that rock great clean. We encourage you to do that as we stand and as we sing together.